The sermon text reading is from Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, City Church Eastside. It's good to be back. As David said, my name is Matt Ruloffs. I'm the campus minister at RUF at Tulane. If you don't know what RUF is, it's the official campus ministry for college students of the PCA. Um, it's good to be back. This was such a great um, home for us for five years, Jackie and I, and now Baby Reed. Shout out to where Baby Reed is in the back. You'll probably hear him during the service. Um, a new addition that I just saw uh, this year, I don't know how long y'all have had it, but the Grow in Jesus. It's great trendy, but in a good way. Um, the thing about Tulane campus ministry is a lot of people don't know about Jesus. Not a lot of people are Christians. Um, it's 40% Jewish, so they know a lot about the Old Testament, but not a lot about Jesus. Um, if you're familiar with uh, a silly movie called Talladega Nights, you might be knowing where I'm going with this. There's an infamous scene that this NASCAR driver, Ricky Bobby, He's praying, and they have like this KFC and Taco Bell, and they're saying grace, and it's ironical. And it says, uh, he says, dear eight pounds, six ounce, new, uh, newborn infant Jesus. And you're like, whoa, that's kind of heretical, okay. Um, and he actually goes on to say, dear tiny Jesus in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist. And he gets interrupted, and he's like, Jesus was a man. He had a beard. And Ricky Bobby was like, look. I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races. I get the money. And then his friend Cal is like, well, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. And then Ricky, Bobby, his son says, well, I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurais. And it seems silly, but actually we do the same thing. We we form Jesus in our own image, and we probably don't actually pray to an eight-pound, six-ounce Jesus, but we do in other ways. Um, and so the good news of Psalm 110 today is we get an awesome picture of who Jesus is, both as our king and high priest. So if you're taking notes today, that's going to be the first two points. How Jesus, first of all, is our human divine king Second of all, how he is a great high priest. And third of all, so what? Why does this matter? Um, how is this going to change our lives? So first of all, let's look again at verse 1, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So a little background. We've been in the Psalm for a couple weeks. Uh, the series where 
as you know, the Israelites, this is their songbook. This is their hymn book. This is uh, what they're singing uh, constantly. And so Psalm 110, a little background, really fun fact here. It's the most quoted uh, Old Testament uh, psalm, but also the most quoted and alluded to um, just chapter in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. So what do I do for interpretation and meaning? Go to the New Testament, how, uh, how Jesus interprets it, how Paul interprets this passage, um, how the author of Hebrews interprets it. So when Jesus, in Matthew 22, he actually goes to this verse and alludes to it. So we're going to go see what Jesus says instead of just me. Um, so Matthew 22 Jesus, the background of this, he's been talking with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, these people know a lot about um, the Old Testament. They're like experts, actually, and they teach others on the Old Testament. And they've been talking about, like, hey, what do you do about paying taxes to Caesar? Or what about resurrection? What do you think about, like, resurrection? Or what's the greatest commandment of them all? He's getting grilled theologically, uh, and Jesus is answering him. But he finally turns and flips it on them and asks the Sadducees and Pharisees a question. In verse 42, he says, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. So Jesus said to them, How is it then written that in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? What Christ is doing here is claiming deity. He's he's claiming uh, to be this long-awaited king. It's confusing at first because when you hear the Lord said to my Lord, you're like, what, what's going on? What Jesus says is, okay, David wrote the psalm, and by the Spirit he wrote that Yahweh, the covenantal name of God that we see in Exodus 3, I am who I am, that's all caps if you see that in the Old Testament. That is the Lord saying to the Lord, Adonai, which is Jesus, um, you're going to rule. You're going to sit at the right hand and put your enemies under your feet. So if Jesus in Matthew 22 is claiming to be this king that, Je- that uh, David is prophesying about, what else can we see about the picture of Jesus? What else do you see about a picture of a king? So first of all, he's making his enemies his footstool. What does that mean? Let's parse that out. So in Joshua 10, um, they're taking the, the promising in the land of Canaan. There's five Amorite kings, and before they're executed, Joshua has his mighty men and um, his chief officers, his warriors, to put their feet on the five Amorite kings' neck. And it's a sign of um, submission before they're actually executed. So to say, I'll make your enemies your footstool, put my feet on their neck, total control. So this is the king that we serve that is describing, um, this is Jesus. So verse 2, what else do we learn about this king? He sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. So he's ruling. It's constant. Uh, he has a mighty scepter. Um, this is a, a sign of power. Um, and that's encouraging for us to, to serve a king that's mighty and sitting on his throne. Um, it gets to a little... I don't know, edgy, uh, horrific, really. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord is at your right hand. It's awesome. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Whoa, I didn't think of uh, that description for Jesus. Verse 6, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. 
I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus, I don't think about the world filling up with corpses. So how is this actually good news? Well, our, uh, the PCA, our denomination, it adheres to the Westminster Standards. And they have uh, the shorter catechism you might have heard of that Dave and I have to uh, memorize for RTS Atlanta to graduate. And the 26th uh, question says, how does Christ execute this office of a king? And the answer is, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So for one, Jesus is on his throne and he's ruling currently. I think part of what that means is if we're being ruled by him, we have to give him our whole allegiance. This means what Jesus says in the scriptures, we don't get to pick and choose uh, how to follow him. We didn't get to say, uh, yeah, you can take my pocketbook, but don't talk about my sexuality. Or like, uh, let's talk about how I need to give the poor, but I'm not a good neighbor um, in the workspace. Jesus gets all of us. He needs our full allegiance. Calvin says it this way, John Calvin, he says it. In a word, David animates here the, the hearts of the godly against being disrupted by the foolhardy attempts on the part of those who presume to introduce discord and disorder into the kingdom of Christ. For he shows that God will put forth his invincible power for the maintaining of his glory of his sacred throne. So let us then confidently repose that however much the world may rage against Christ, it will never be able to hurl him from the right hand of the Father. Friends, this is comforting to have a king that is on the throne. When you um, lost a job and you're still looking for months and months, God is on his throne. When you lose a loved one after a battle with cancer, God is still on his throne. When your family is really difficult and there's still relationships that are unmended, God is still on his throne. When you feel like you're so lonely and you don't have a really good friend, friends, God is on his throne. So this is one half of the picture we see of Jesus in this Psalm 110, that he's a king and he's on his throne. And he's powerful. And he's subduing us to himself and subduing enemies as well. What else do we see about Jesus? He's a great high priest. Verse 4 says this, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you're like me, 99% of y'all will say, well, who is Melchizedek? And we, the New Testament reading from uh, Hebrews gave us a little bit of background, but pretty much Melchizedek is not mentioned at all in the Old Testament besides Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. So what happened in Genesis 14, we read it earlier, and by we, I mean Keith read it for us, that uh, Abraham meets with Melchizedek, after he um, has destroyed some kings, and Abraham actually ties to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses him. And this is getting into the weeds, so stay with me for a minute. This is important because the superior always blesses the inferior, and the inferior always ties to the superior. So what David is saying here in Psalm 110 about Melchizedek is that Everyone, uh, all the Israelites would have been looking up to Abraham 
Abraham was the one that gave his tithes to Melchizedek. This guy is a huge deal. He pops up and it's just a few verses about him. And then Psalm 110, he says that the order of Melchizedek is actually a priest forever. But he puts this, he compares this uh, figure Melchizedek to Jesus. So how, how is Jesus a high priest? We read a little bit, of, a little bit of this in Hebrews seven, but let's go back there um, to see how he's compared to Melchizedek specifically. Again, the meaning of this text is a lot, a lot of it's seen in the New Testament. So we'll start at verse sixteen, then jump to verse twenty. This is Jesus who has become a, a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, this is a quote, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he who holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he is always he since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is a big deal. So how is Jesus a priest again? Forever? Because he, he went to the cross for us and the grave after he died could not hold him. I love the phrase by the power of an indestructible life. Like, whoa, it's a big deal. This is how he's a priest. Okay, he's making a good argument. We sometimes sing a song called Behold the Throne of God. And some lyrics from this song, Behold the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high praise whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Friends, we not only have a king who's ruling over us, we have a high priest who has made his own uh, sacrifice for us, but who also pleads for us, who intercedes for us. And this is important because if you're thinking, um, how, um, how do I change? How do I live in a way that's glorifying uh, to God? Um, how do I go about living my everyday life? Like, so what of this? Well, the culture, what does the culture say? Um, I'd say, I don't know, you do you, or like, do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Um, if you like watch any commercials, I usually don't. I'm like, always oh, like, I'm on Netflix, but then when I see the real commercials, like, whoa, everyone is trying to, like, sell their stuff like I'm a god. Like, you're the best, and that's why you need the best razor, or, like, whatever it is. <laughs> and actually, this is, like, a reference in, in Ted Lasso um, kind of talks about this. So I used to talk about Ted Lasso last year, and I can't get away from it. If you don't know, uh, the season's ended, um, but it's pretty much a story about this American football coach comes overseas to England, and now he's a soccer coach. And this one character used to be a player. His name is Roy Kent. And he's pretty hardcore, uh, kind of no funny business, no silliness, um, kind of strict by the rule. He becomes a coach. And over this three years of, this, of the seasons of the show, you kind of see that he's actually a teddy bear. Like, he's got a soft spot in him. He actually really does care about people. But he's frustrated um, because... He's talking about changing, and he says this in front of these group of guys called the Diamond Dogs who are talking about real-life things. He says this, and I'll change the language because he's very salty. So um, He says, I've been busting my butt trying to change, but apparently I haven't done anything 
because I'm still me. Can people change? So he asked the diamond dogs these questions and kind of goes around the room and people are like, oh yeah, I think you can change for good. And some people are like, no, nah, I don't think you can. It's okay, just accept it. And kind of the mic drop moment comes from Leslie Higgins, who's on staff for this team. Um, he says, human beings are never going to be perfect. The best we can do is keep asking for help and accepting it when you can. And if you keep on doing that, you'll always be moving towards better. And kind of everyone in the room was like, whoa. But when I, when I listened to it and when I heard it and saw it, I was like, Ah, man, it's so close. It's actually missing something, though. Because isn't it true that we actually long for perfection? We actually want to be perfect? It's great asking for help and, like, getting help, receiving help, moving towards better. But, friends, here's the good news of Jesus, our high priest. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. And because he was perfect and took our sin and shame and unperfectness to the cross, he died for us. That means part of uh, living now, we get his righteousness. So actually, we are seen as perfect. God the Father looks down upon us and says, yes, David, you are actually perfect on account of Jesus and his perfect righteousness. So what does this mean as far as application if he's our high priest? One thing it means is we don't have to wait to get our stuff together to come to the throne room. Jesus has made it accessible right now. Come with your guilt, come with your shame, come with your failures to Jesus. Some of you are coming to church and you haven't been in a while and you're you're thinking, man, it took a lot for me to come here, Um, but I'll probably have to do this, this, X, Y, and Z, probably like follow up on my prayer life, my devotional life, uh, my, you know, good acts towards other people. Jesus says, come now, don't tarry. Some of y'all are trying to wait until you're better parents or um, until you get your GPA up or until you get into this really nice college or until things are just right with your family, just right with your friendship. Don't wait until all that's perfect. Come right now. You don't have to have it all together because Jesus is the perfect one and he's made access to the throne for us now. So why does this matter that Jesus is king and high priest Well, it is, like I said earlier, a little daunting that the language um, in verses 5 and 6, we're talking about like shattered kings and talking about enemies. You're kind of thinking to yourself, well, I hope I'm not an enemy of Jesus. Like, how, how do I know? Paul gives us a little hint of this in Ephesians 1. He says this about Jesus. He put all things under his feet. Again, that imagery of the foot against the neck. Under his feet and gave them head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And again, the author of Hebrews, a few chapters later, he says this in chapter 10 about Jesus. Every priest stands daily at a service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So he rules. He's, he's already um, offered a once and for all single sacrifice for sins. This is incredibly good news. And David, in verse 3 of Psalm 110, he says this, So what? Like, people are going to offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. It's amazing. There's this other song we sometimes sing. It's called, uh, Come Ye Souls by Sin Afflicted. And I want to read a little part of it. 
kind of speaks to this. He says, Blessed are the eyes, blessed are the eyes that see him, blessed the ears hear his voice, blessed are the souls that trust him and in him alone rejoice. His commandments, his commandments, his commandments then become their happy choice. So friends, if you know it's not all up to you to make it make a way for salvation, you know that Jesus paved that path for you, it actually frees you up to obey him. And then when you fail to obey him, it still runs to him because he's perfect. Russ Whitfield, he's a pastor in our denomination. He says this, the only thing harder than following Jesus is not following Jesus. The burden of self-salvation, self-making, self-keeping is too great to bear. Friends, the good news today is that Jesus, he's our high king. He's our king and our high priest. He's made a way. We can relax. We can have rest in the gospel that we're imperfect and that's okay because Jesus is perfect. And we actually are perfect because of Jesus perfect. (laughs) That'll take some weight off your shoulders. As a campus minister... Um, it take, it's taken weight off of my shoulders when I prepare a sermon for like, you know, maybe 10, 15 people, a small group, and then three people show up. Guess what? God's still on his throne. He's still at work. And friends, if you don't know this high king, I keep on saying that high king, high priest and king. He's a high king. Yeah. Um, doesn't this person sound really good? Like this is an invitation for someone who Bible claims not only you need, but someone who um, you're going to be blessed by. So there's not only a king in Jesus that's ruling currently, but also a high priest that has made it possible for us to be with him. That's an invitation. If you do know him, then wouldn't you want to share that with your neighbors? That's an invitation. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you have um, you've made a way for salvation. You have made a way to be with you, and that is because you're ruling on your throne, because you became a baby Jesus, and that you lived and died for us. And that you have the power of an indestructible life. The grave could not hold you. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice as our high priest, that we don't have to keep on making sacrifices over and over. You've made it once and for all 2,000 years ago. And now we can have the freedom to obey you and your commandments. Would you help us do that? Would you help us love our neighbors more so because of your love for us? And would you help us um, find you more attractive and beautiful and worth following that we could share that with our neighbors? We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Every week we respond to the preaching of God's word, um, first with a time of confession. And then we follow confession with celebration, with the table, with communion. And so as we move now into a time of confession, um, you know, Matt shared with us about how, you know, baby Jesus, ninja Jesus, we, and and I think he's right, we all do it. We all truncate Jesus. 